So Psalm 119, as most of you know, is the longest chapter in the Bible, 176 verses. And we don't know who wrote the the, uh, psalm here. Uh, Probably, as most scholars believe, it was David. And the reason that they believed David was the one. The Holy Spirit ultimately wrote uh, all of the psalms that we're going through. But David, uh, as he uh, was writing the psalms that his name is attributed to, that we know that David would use similar terminology that the psalmist here in Psalm 119 uses. Uh, David, he wrote in Psalm 19 that the law of the Lord is perfect, the testimony of the Lord is sure, the statutes of the Lord are right, the commandments of the Lord are pure. He's talking about the word of God. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And then he goes on and he writes in Psalm uh, 19 that his name is attributed to that the word of God is be desired more than gold, than fine gold, and is sweeter than honey, than the honeycomb. And there's great reward in keeping the word of God. And, and that's very similar to what we're going to read here even tonight as we finish this psalm, uh, Lord willing, as we go through it. And Psalm 119, as you know, uses different words for the Word of God, just as David did in Psalm 19. Uh, When we read the Word, of course, the Word of God, the law, the judgments, the testimony, the precepts of the Lord, the commandments of the Lord, it's all speaking of God's Word that is given to us. And Psalm 119 here really focuses on the blessing and the benefits of knowing God's Word and applying God's Word in our life. And so that's what we're going to continue to see. Now keep in mind that this psalm is an acrostic with eight verses in each section. And with each section, you know, successive section follows the Hebrew alphabet. So 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, and 22 times 8 is 176 verses. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to read each section, eight verses, and then I'll expound on them. As we begin in verse 49 of Psalm 119, uh, remember the word to your servant upon which you caused me to hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, for your word has given me life. The proud have given me great derision, and yet I do not turn aside from your law. I remember your judgments of old, O Lord, and have comforted myself. Indignation has taken hold of me because of the wicked for who forsake your law. Your statues have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and I keep your law. This has become mine because I keep your precepts. So here the psalmist, he is writing and he's reminding us that people lose hope because they don't have the words of hope. You see, God's word brings comfort in a song in our hearts, doesn't it? It brings hope to you and to me. And here we see that your word has given me life. And you remember that in John chapter 6, that it was Jesus as he was telling the people and multitudes up in the Galilee region that I am the bread of life that comes from heaven and you need to eat and drink of me. And whoever believes in me has eternal life and will never hunger and thirst again. And as Jesus is explaining how he came from heaven, the bread of life that comes from heaven to give them eternal life, the people, as he was saying, know me. You know, he's talking about fellowship. You see, they came to him after defeating the five thousand because they were hungry. He says, you're only looking for bread that's going to perish. You're hungry again, but you need to eat of me and drink of me. And the people are going, this is a hard saying. And they begin to leave. 
They began to disperse. And Jesus turned to his disciples and he said, do you want to go with them? And Peter said something very astounding. He said, where would we go? Because you have the words of eternal life. And you see, the words in this book here are the words of eternal life. And we need to remember that, that the word of God gives us hope. You see, the philosophy, the words of the world, uh, the ways of the world is not our hope. And I feel so bad for people who don't know the word of God and even Christians who don't grow in the word of God. This is the words of hope that gives us life and the word brings comfort and a song in our hearts says, here he's saying that your, your statutes have been my songs and the house of my pilgrimage and And I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and I keep your law. And it reminds me of what Paul would write in the New Testament in uh, the prison epistles that we saw just recently in Ephesians chapter 5 as the psalmist here is saying that it has been, your statutes have been my songs. It is Paul that would write that we are to be one, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, and giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. And then in that other prison epistle of Colossians, he writes, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. So what is being told to you and to me and what the psalmist is saying here in Psalm 119 is that there should be a song in our heart because we know the word of God, the statues, as the psalmist writes here, another term for the word of God. And having the word of God in our hearts brings that comfort to you and to me. It brings hope. And then we have a song in our hearts and thanksgiving in our heart. We should fill our homes with just this kind of atmosphere of we're singing songs and spiritual hymns. In other words, that atmosphere where we talk about the things of the Lord, the word of God is spoken of, the presence of the Lord is felt in our homes and also in this church as well. And as we continue to study the word of God and take the word of God and put it into our hearts, as we are comforted, as we have hope, as we hear the words of life, then there's going to be a song in our hearts. And that's what the scriptures is telling you and me. Well, we continue in verse 57. For you are my portion, O Lord, and I have said I would keep your words. I entreat it your favor with my whole heart. Be merciful to me according to your word. I thought about my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. I made haste and did not delay to keep your commandments. The cords of the wicked have bound me, and I have not forgotten your law. At midnight I will rise to give thanks to you because of your righteous judgments. I am a companion of all who fear you and of those who keep your precepts. The earth, O Lord, is full of your mercy, and teach me your statutes. So here the the psalmist reflects on turning to God, and, and God is our portion. And when we read that God is our portion, what it's speaking of is the rich inheritance that we have in Christ. Isn't that amazing? Again, in the, uh, the prison epistle of Ephesians, that in chapter 1, as Paul's taking us into the heavenlies, he's telling us of all the spiritual blessings that are ours. I don't know about you, but I never get tired of reading Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3. Because all these blessings are pouring out, that you've been forgiven, you've been chosen, you have eternal life, you know, you have an eternal inheritance that is in Christ. And as I think about that, you know, we, we talk about an inheritance. I think for a lot of us, we would like to leave something for our children, for our grandchildren, an inheritance of some sort. 
And so we perhaps might receive an inheritance, but you and I as sons and daughters of the living God, we have an eternal inheritance, as Peter writes in his epistle, that is kept for us for all eternity in heaven, our salvation, and the glory of what God has for us, the eternal riches that are ours in Christ, cannot even begin to be compared to any inheritance that we can receive here on this earth. We can be thankful for that, but it's going to go away. And it's all going to go away eventually. But the internal inheritance that we have in Christ is something that is going to be so glorious that we can't even comprehend it. And I just want to encourage you, because you might be here thinking, I'm not going to have any kind of inheritance. I'm not going to be able to leave any inheritance, my children. Listen, you can leave a godly inheritance for them as you lead them to Christ. That's one of the reasons why we place such an importance of teaching these children the Word of God, the youth the Word of God as well, to teach them through the Scriptures, just like we're going through the Scriptures, to come alongside you as moms and dads and grandparents to to minister to your children because there's a godly inheritance that is for them as they come to Christ, as they're forgiven, and there's a hope of eternal life. And so it can't be compared to what this earthly inheritance we might receive someday. So God is our portion. And then also, as we see here, that he's writing and he says that I made haste and did not delay to keep your commandments. I think that's really important as we look at verse 60, because as he he is saying the psalmist, I read your commandment and I'm going to apply it in my life. I'm not going to delay. Listen, this is really important. This is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. 1 John chapter 5. And in that, as you've heard me say over and over again, that every commandment that God gives to you and to me is an expression of his love for you and for me. Because it's a loving father that says, I don't want you to be deceived. I don't want you to be hurt. I don't want you to be in darkness. I don't want you to fall into the traps and the snares of the enemy or the world. So this is the love of God. I'm giving you my commandments. And my commandments are not burdensome. Listen, the Lord does not give you his commandments to be burdensome to you and to me. Sometimes, particularly young people, but it's not always young people, think that, oh, uh, Christianity is a list of I can't do this and I can't do that and I can't go here and I can't participate in that. When the Lord says don't go in that direction is because he loves you or don't be involved in that thing or don't live that lifestyle or don't be involved in whatever. It's because he loves you and he does not want you to get hurt. He does not want you to be deceived. He does not want you to get wiped out. He doesn't want you to end up being discouraged and depressed. He wants you to experience that abundant life. And he wants you to be free because the ways of the world and sin and carnality is going to hold you in bondage. And I hope and pray that all of us are understanding that, that the Lord desires the very best for you to experience the blessings of the Lord and to really be free. You shall know the truth and the truth will set you free, as Jesus said to you and to me. So when we hear the commandment of the Lord, listen, don't delay in applying it in your life. And sometimes what we can do is make excuses. I hear the commandment of the Lord, and I'm going to delay. Okay, I know that, that I'm not to live with 
my boyfriend. Uh, I'm not to live with my girlfriend. Uh, I'm not to live in, in, in immorality. I'm not to be given over to uh, these sins or whatever. And sometimes we'll make excuses. Well, you know, I got to figure out how it's going to work, and I got to figure out how to do this, and, you know, what's the process going to be, and, and practically how it's going to work for me. And, and it just becomes where we make excuses. And then we find ourselves a month, six months, a year, two years down the road, and we're still in the same sin, same, you know, situation, and it's gotten worse. And so, because we did not apply the Word of God, I hope I'm articulating it. To where we're understanding what the psalmist, what he's saying here. When we hear the commandments of the Lord and the precepts of the Lord, and how he tells us how we are to live, we're to say, okay, Lord, I hear it, and and I'm going to apply it, and I'm going to do what you tell me to do. And listen, he will bless you as you're dependent upon him. He will bless dependency and obedience in your life. He always blesses that. And sometimes you may not figure out how it is, it's going to work or how it's going to play out. But Lord, I know that this is your word given to me and I'm not going to make excuses. I'm not going to ignore it. I'm going to apply it in my life. And that's what the psalmist did. And as you do, man, there's going to be blessing that's going to come to you and you're going to see his faithfulness be worked out in your life. So here the psalmist, as he talks about in in verses 61 through 64, that God is our joy. And of course, we know that it was uh, David that wrote in Psalm 16 that in your presence is fullness of joy. You want joy? I think everybody wants joy. I think if I was to ask you, who doesn't want joy in their life? I don't think a hand would go up. You want joy? Very simple. In your presence is fullness of joy. Jesus said, abide in me, and you'll have a fullness of joy. Abide in my love, and your joy shall be full, and your joy is going to remain. So very simple, not a secret. You don't have to go to the Christian bookstore and buy the book that says, the secret to having joy in your Christian life is very simple. You stay close to the Lord. You abide in him, you walk with him, abide in his love. And there's going to be a fullness of joy. And that's what the psalmist is talking about. And also, he is talking about in verse 63 here, that I am a companion of all who fear you and of those who keep your precepts. In other words, don't let others who don't walk in God's way trip you up and bind you up and deceive you. It is good for us to be here. It really is. To surround yourself with strong believers that will help you and encourage you to stay on track. And we need that, don't we? When we come in and we're down and we're discouraged, we feel defeated, we feel like a failure, we, and we, we're not what we could be and should be, it's good to be around each other where we can pray for each other and love on each other and really bless one another and help one another. So the psalmist has a lot to say in this section here. And then uh, verse 65, as we go to the next sec- section, You have dealt well with your servant. O Lord, according to your word, teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The proud have forged a lie against me. But I will keep your precepts with my whole heart. 
Uh, their heart is as fat as grease, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of coins of gold and silver. And so we see here that his word brings correction and rebuke and instruction to us. When I was teaching uh, for a few years, high school, New and Old Testament survey, uh, what I would do is have my students remember uh, certain verses. And one of the first verses, memory verses, that I had for them was Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And I'm sure a lot of you are sitting there going, oh, I know that verse, because it's an important verse. That all Scripture is inspired by God. Not most Scripture, not some of it, or only the Scripture that I like. All Scripture from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21. All scripture is God-breathed. That's what it means that all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable. And that's what the psalmist is talking about in this long psalm here, that God's word is profitable to us. There's a blessing to it. It gives us hope. It gives us strength. It gives us wisdom. It's alive. It works in our lives as we apply it in our hearts. And notice here that there's, I will keep your precepts with my whole heart. It's not just having a head knowledge. We can have a head knowledge of the word of God. I know guys that have been in my life that have, you know, come to me and they're like a walking encyclopedia when it comes to the Bible. But they haven't really applied it in their lives. It's all academic. We want the Word of God to get from here into here, don't we? Because what is in your heart is going to be worked out in your life. And that's what the psalmist says. And we are to be ones that to remember that the word of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, as that verse in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that it may thoroughly equip every man for every good work. Listen, the word of God is imperative. Timothy, you must continue in the scriptures that you have learned from childhood. Don't stop learning the word of God. Timothy, you must continue in my manner of life and doctrine And know this, that all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for you for doctrine. So we are establishing the truth of God's word for reproof, for correction. I know I need correction for instruction. I need to be instructed that I may be equipped to live a life the way that God wants me to live. And it's wonderful to know that God's word is so valuable, it's more valuable than any amount of money. More to be desired than gold than they, than fine gold, as David would write in Psalm 19. And we continue in verse 73. For your hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. And those who fear you will be glad when they see me, because I have hoped in your word. I know, O Lord, that your judgments are right, and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Uh, let I pray your merciful kindness be for my comfort, according to your word to your servant. Let your tender mercies come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. Let the proud be ashamed, for they've treated me wrongfully with falsehood, but I will meditate on your precepts. Let those who fear you turn to me. Those who know your testimonies, let my heart be blameless regarding your statutes, that I may not be ashamed. So God is the one who created us, and he knows how it is that we should live, how it is that we should think, what it is that we should do. It's kind of like, it's springtime, isn't it? 
So a lot of us probably in the next week or two are going to be getting mowers ready and, and um, I have a little riding tractor, a little John Deere, and I need to change the oil and the blades and the air filter and I need to, you know, maybe change the spark plug and, and all that, get it ready for the mowing season. Now, I just don't go down to low and just grab, you know, any uh, mowing blades and air filter and, well, this oil looks good. I don't do that. What do I do? I go to the owner's manual and I write down, you know, the part that I need to get and the blade and the size and all of that. Then I take it there and, and I go through that list to make sure I got the right parts so that thing runs right. It's like when we have an owner's manual for a car or anything that we run. And we look to that owner's manual, how it is that we maintain it, how it works, all that information is given to us. Well, the Bible is the owner's manual. We belong to him. And we look to this book to guide us and to teach us in everything and how we are to maintain a healthy spiritual life. And it's important for us to go through this and look at it and check it off and and to make sure that we are maintaining a devotional life to where we're taking in the word of God. He created us. He fashioned us. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Oh, Lord, you know how it is that I can have a blessed life, how it is that I can have true joy, how it is that I can have wisdom and guidance and strength. It all is from your word as you teach me and guide me in everything. So that's what the Lord desires for us to do, is be ones that we continue in the word of God because he wants us to have that healthy, maintained, strong spiritual life that he desires to work in us and then through us. And then as we continue in verse 81, my soul faints for your salvation, but I hope in your word. My eyes fail from searching your word, saying, when will you comfort me? For I have become like a wineskin in smoke, yet I do not forget your statutes. How many are the days of your servant? When will you execute judgment on those who persecute me? The proud have dug pits for me, which is not according to your law. All your commandments are faithful. They have persecuted me wrongfully. Help me. They almost made an end of me on the earth, but I did not forsake your precepts. Revive me according to your loving kindness so that I may keep the testimony of your mouth. So the psalmist is in trouble here. He turns to God's word, and he cries out, first of all, in verse 82, comfort me. Then in verse 86, help me. And then in verse 88, revive me. And you see, that's a good reason for us to continue to be in the Word of God because the Word of God brings comfort to us, doesn't it? I know it brings comfort to me. And there are times when, when I'm feeling down and discouraged that these psalms that we've gone through in the last year, going through all of them, I read them and they bring such comfort to me. How, how the psalmist articulates his hurting heart and his situation and giving praise to the Lord, and I read it, and it gives me comfort that I know that I can cry out to the Lord, that I know he hears me. I go through the Word of God, and I read his promises that are there for me, and it brings me great comfort. I know it does to you as well. You know, what's a real blessing is we can bring comfort to others as we give them the Word of God. 
And as you give them the word of God, it's going to comfort their hearts. And, and many of you have experienced that. Somebody who's just hurting, I'm at the end of my rope, and I don't know what to do. And you start giving them the promises of God and telling them what God's word declares, his love for them. And there's always hope in the Lord, and it brings comfort to them. So we are comforted as we read the word of God, just as the psalmist here. And it is believed that one of the reasons, again, this is David that wrote this, because David's talking about that they persecute me wrongly in verse 86, help me. They almost made an enemy on the earth. And he's going to continue talking about being persecuted. There, there are those who are out to get him. So it is believed that perhaps if David did write this, he wrote this earlier in his life, as perhaps maybe Saul is pursuing him through the wilderness. Because he says that I kept your word. I didn't forsake your precepts. It was David during that time that didn't want to, to you know, uh, do anything that, um, you know, that the Lord didn't want him to do. He said, I will not you know, uh, hurt the Lord's anointed. He had an opportunity to do Saul in, but he didn't. I'm not going to do that to God's anointed. I'm going to let him take care of it. And David, as we have seen a pattern in these psalms that he wrote, and he wrote at least half of the psalms of the 150 of them. But before his sin with Bathsheba, he talks a lot about how he kept the precepts of the Lord. He was the man after God's own heart. He, he delighted in the law of the Lord. After his sin with Bathsheba, the tone changes a little bit where he's crying out more for mercy and God's forgiveness of the Lord. Kind of interesting to see that. So maybe perhaps early in David's life when Saul's pursuing him and the men of Saul are coming against him, he's, he's saying, Lord, comfort me and then also help me. They persecute me wrongly. And the word of God brings us help, doesn't it? It brings us help and then revive me according to your loving kindness. It strengthens us. It, it, it just revives us. There are times where, you know, I just felt like, Ooh, I don't have the strength to do anything. And I'm sure that some of you have felt that there have been times where you didn't even want to get out of bed. But you've read God's word. And you were comforted in your hope. And somehow it revived you to where you were able to get up and go through the day and to continue to look to him to give you the strength that you need day by day as you continued with him. Allow him to speak to you. In verse 89, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You establish the earth and it abides. They continue this day according to your ordinances. For all are your servants, unless your law has been my delight. I would have then have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours, save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked wait for me to destroy me, but I will consider your testimonies, and I have seen the consummation of all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. So in this section, if you trust in the Lord and God's word, you'll have a solid foundation. You see, here's the thing to always remember, that the world and the world's philosophy and the world's way is not going to give you stability, not true stability. It is the word of God is going to bring you steadfastness. One of the commandments of the New Testament that's told to us over and over again is be steadfast, right? Be steadfast in the Lord. 
Paul writes about that. Hey, you believers, be steadfast. Because they were going through difficulty. It wasn't easy. They were going through persecution and all of this. And it's not easy for us in this day to be committed to the Lord and be committed to the Word of God. Whenever that we say that we are believers in the Word of God, here the psalmist is going to continue to write that there are those who are going to come against us. We read as we started out, the risen is what we are to others. In other words, that word means that people laugh at us and scorn us. But also we know that the world is out there to try to deceive us and come against us and tell us that what we believe in is not true, to forsake it. And we need to make sure that we are building upon that solid foundation, and that is Jesus Christ, as he said in Matthew chapter 7, that you be the wise man who built this house on a firm foundation when the storms came, and they do come into our lives, don't they? Every single one of us. And the winds blew and the rain beat against the house. That house was able to stand. That is likened to the one who hears these words of mine and then does them. Don't be like the fool who built upon the sand who didn't hear these words of mine and didn't do them. Great was the fall of that house when the storm came. So the question is today, the question will be tomorrow, what are you building on? Are you building on that which is unstable, the world? and putting trust in the world and the world's philosophy in the world's way? Or are you building on the firm foundation, Jesus Christ? And as you build upon that, when the storms come, maybe you're in a storm tonight. But if you're not, you're going to be in a storm sometime in your life. And I don't mean to be a bummer here on Wednesday night. <laughs> but we, I think most of us know that to be true, don't we? And the storms will come into our lives because Jesus said you will have tribulation. Not that you might have tribulation. It rains on the just and on the unjust. And when we go through the tribulations of life and the storms of life, what are we building on? Are you building on that firm foundation day by day upon the word of God and being established in Jesus Christ in your devotion to him? And so that's what my prayer is for all of us, to build on a solid foundation, to have stability, steadfastness, and being steadfastness comes by the word of God. As you just learn the word of God, you're going to grow in faith. And faith comes by hearing and hearing what? By the word of God. Good. So we continue here in verse 89. That, or actually in verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. You through your commandments make me wiser than my enemies. For they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers. For your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients because I kept your precepts. And I have restrained my feet from every evil way. That I might keep your word. I have not departed from your judgments. For you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your, your precepts I get understanding. Therefore I hate every false way. So I, I love here what the psalmist is saying, that God will give you understanding and wisdom, and you will be taught more spiritually than all the philosophers and religious leaders and the intellects of the world. You're going to learn more as you stick to the Word of God than if you're listening to Oprah all day or Dr. Phil or all the radio talk show hosts and TV, you know, 
talking heads. There are thousands of them that have everything all figured out. Listen, I'm not trying to put all that down and be all critical and judgmental. But listen, they're not giving you truth like God's word. You're going to get cheated. And the sooner that we understand that, the better off we're going to be. I get people that call me all the time and they're all worked up because they heard this thing on TV and they heard this person speak and this, you know, radio talk show host and, and, and all of this. Stick to the Word of God. And as you stick to the Word of God, you're going to learn more. It's going to teach you more than all the other teachers that are out there. The intellects, the politicians, the, you know, all those guys. And listen, it doesn't mean that we can't learn from a good Bible teacher either. I appreciate good Bible teachers. It has helped me to really grow in the Word of God, to have those who expound on the Word of God. And I'm very thankful for them. But as I do, it's important that you have your devotions and you're reading through the Word of God every single day. That you're not just dependent on others, but allow the Holy Spirit, as Jesus said, that he's going to come and he's going to teach you all things. And allow the Lord to speak to your heart. That's what's so wonderful about being a Christian. It is having a relationship with him. And I've always told you that you make sure that you check everything that I say out with the word of God. And any teacher that comes along. And what my prayer is, is that as we expound on the word of God, chapter by chapter, verse by verse here at Calvary Chapel, I pray that it blesses you and it teaches you because I take that very serious. But I would encourage you, just continue through the Word of God yourself. Have devotions. One of the things in the Young Timothy class that you guys, if any of you are here, that you know I always press upon you, have a devotion time. Make sure you're getting up and you're reading the Word of God, however that works for you. Some people like a year you know, through the Bible plan. Others like to take their time. That's okay. However... Lord speaks to you and how you should do that, but be in the Bible every single day. There's no other shortcut for growing in maturity in the Lord. Read your Bible every day and be in prayer. And set that time aside for where you're doing that. And you're going to grow tremendously in spiritual wisdom and knowledge. Because in Him... Remember Colossians chapter 2? It's hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That is spiritual wisdom and knowledge. It's all found in the Word of God. It's all found through Christ. The Holy Spirit is going to teach you and speak to you as you read the Word of God. It's a wonderful thing that takes place. And then Psalm 10, or verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn and confirmed that I will keep your righteous judgments. I am afflicted very much. Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. Accept, I pray, the free will offering of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me your judgments. My life is continually in my hand, yet I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I have not strayed from your precepts. Your testimonies I have taken as a heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart and I have inclined my heart to perform your statutes forever to the very end. In this dark world, God's word is a light to guide you. I like what verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And I like that because he doesn't say the psalmist, the word of God is a beacon of light down the path. 
It's a lamp. Now, any of us, if we have outdoors, maybe we sit on the patio, we'll have a lamp that's there, and it kind of just gives a little bit of light. Or if we go camping, a lot of you have a lantern, a lamp that you put on the table so you can see. Uh, but also we have flashlights that will, you know, look in the trees and make sure there's no, you know, bears out there or anything as we go into the woods or whatever, you know. It's different. A lamp is that we can take on our feet one step at a time. There's a point in all this. A lot of times I want, Lord, I want that beacon of light. I want to know what's going to happen six months from now, a year from now, five years from now. And the Lord says, listen, my word's going to guide you. I'm going to direct you. My word is a lamp to your feet and a light to your path to where you're not going to walk in darkness but it's going to be one day at a time, one step at a time. Like the Lord says, let's talk about this. I'm going to show you today what you need to know, and then come back and see me tomorrow. And then come back and see me tomorrow, and we'll talk some more, and I'll minister to you some more, and you grow in the Word of God. Isn't that wonderful? But he's going to get you to where you need to go. And so oftentimes, because we live in a world where we want to know what's going to happen in six months, in a year, and two years from now, sometimes I do, that I'm learning more as I get older, that it's just one day at a time with you, Lord. And you're going to get me to where you need me to go, and you're going to light up that path, because your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And I know that I don't have to worry about as I'm in your word the wicked that lay a snare for me. I don't, I'm not going to stray from your precepts. You see, there's a lot of snares and a lot of traps out there that the world lays for you. The enemy tries to get you to be tripped up and snagged up. And here's the thing that you and I need to always remember about traps and snares is that usually somebody lays a trap. You don't know that it's a trap, do you? It's camouflage. It's hidden. It's, it's deceptive. You... You have bait there, and the enemy likes to put a bait. Don't be ignorant of Satan's devices, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And one of his devices is to lay some kind of bait. When Sue and I first got married uh, in Colorado Springs, we had a little patio house, and skunks got underneath the deck. And it would fill the house with that skunk smell, and it was terrible and all the time. So I got a live trap so we can trap that skunk. And so we'd put something in it. I think we put apples or something in it. And at night, sure enough, that skunk would come in, and there's a trap. I'd throw a blanket over it, take it out in the country, and let it go. Another skunk would come in. Then another skunk came in. I think I trapped like 15 skunks before it stopped. Or we moved or something. I can't remember. (laughs) One time, we caught a possum. And we looked at that thing. Sue did, and she... I was at work. She called me and she said, there's some strange animal in that trap. And she called somebody and they said, this is a possum that comes from, you know, Oklahoma and Texas. What's it doing up here in Colorado? And it's like, I don't know, but it's under my deck. Get it out of here. I don't want it here. But they would always go. We put treats and, I don't know, apples in there, and they go into that trap. And that's what the enemy does. He's going to dangle the carrot. And that's how a lot of Christians fall. Because they ignore God's word. And there's the trap and there's the snare. 
And you see, that's the beautiful thing and the wonderful thing about being in God's word and knowing it is we don't have to be all tripped up and fall into traps in the snare that the enemy lays for us. Listen, we can be safe and there's security in the word of God and abiding in his word and trusting in him. And the Lord, again, desires for us not to be all tripped up all the time, but be secure in him. We don't have to be double-minded. We don't have to be deceived. We don't have to be in darkness. Why? Because the word of God is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And he desires to guide you in every single area of your life. And his word is sure and his word is true. And this is the love of God. You keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this time as we stop here. Maybe we didn't get as far as we wanted, but Lord, we just want to stop and thank you for the Bible study tonight and for your word that's given to us. And to take time right now to come to the communion table. And Lord, just continue to rejoice that Jesus came, the word And the word became flesh and tabernacled among us and then went to a cross and died for our sins. And as we prepare our hearts to come to the communion table, Lord, first of all, I just want to pray if there is anyone that is here listening to this message that you've never truly given your life to Jesus Christ, that he is your salvation. You see, that's what the Word of God declares, that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's a sin problem, and sin has brought death to mankind. Through Adam came sin and death, Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, and sin and death entered the world. But the last Adam, Jesus Christ, with his righteous act, brought life. And Jesus came to this world and went to a cross to die for your sins, to make atonement. And as the author of Hebrew writes, that there's no other sacrifice for sin, only Jesus. He's the only one that died for you, was put into a grave, and he rose again. He conquered sin and death. He proved that he's the Son of God. And all you have to do is receive him. They asked him, what is the works of God that we may do them? And Jesus said, believe on me whom the Father has sent. That's the work that you do. You turn your life to him and you come in faith. In other words, you can't earn your salvation. It's a free gift. As Ephesians chapter 2 says, they were saved by grace through faith. It's not of yourself. It's the gift of God. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. And freely receive it as you come. And experience and receive his grace as you come in faith and believe in that Jesus died for your sins and rose again. If you've never done that, it's not about being religious. It's not about joining the church. It's about coming to Jesus and asking for forgiveness. And when he died on that cross, he said, it is finished. I've done the work. I've paid the price. And so now you can be forgiven and have the hope of heaven. 
as you sincerely turn to Him and surrender your life to Him. Tonight is the night of salvation. If that means anything to anyone here tonight, that you would pray, Jesus, I come to you a sinner. And I know that you died for my sins because that's what the Bible declares, your word. And I am a sinner. And I ask that you would forgive me. And I believe that you're alive, speaking to my heart. And I ask that you would be the Lord and Savior of my life that sits upon the throne of my life and the throne of my heart. I give my life to you. My life is not its own. And I thank you for your love and for dying for me and making all things new. And I thank you for this new beginning. In Jesus' name. And if anybody here, even if you're out in a coffee shop or maybe you're listening on live stream, if you made a decision for Christ, I want you, when the service concludes, to come and tell me so I can pray for you and bless you. And if you're listening on live stream, give me a call, email. Let us know the decision you made. But also tonight here, that we would be ones that we would not make excuses for applying the Word of God in our life. And I pray for ones that were wishy-washy about it or we're not really serious about the Word of God in that we know that it's true and profitable and there's blessing and it strengthens us and comforts us. And this is God breathed to us, God's love story given to you that you would just say, Lord, I want to be one. I want to be taught by you and your word and have it hidden in my heart. Not just an intellectual exercise or just the parts that benefit me, but Lord, all of it. From Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21, I want to know your word and I want to know you because you're revealed to me in this Bible your love, your promises, your ways. You created me, you loved me, and I was created for your good pleasures. So I want to know you more. I want to start my day with you in reading your word and crying out to you in hearing your voice speak to me by the Holy Spirit. I want to just grow in, in wisdom an understanding of your ways. And I pray, Lord, everyone who has that heart tonight, that you would bless them and encourage them. And as we gather here corporately, that we be committed to your word, to you, to encourage one another when we feel down or when we doubt, when we falter. We would build one another up. And Father, now as we come to the communion table, I would ask that as we hold the elements, we'll partake of them together, that you would just help us to once again be at awe at the incredible sacrifice of Jesus for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.